NWP Radio. You're listening to NWP Radio, a production of the National Writing Project. NWP. Loving to believe in hope. Loving to believe in hope. Loving to believe in hope. It's September and I'm loving to believe in hope. All right, all right. You know, I am really thinking that our nation could use a song right now that was terrible, but I was thinking about hope winning and something to believe in. Um, I also hope for stellar writers. I hope for excellence in writing instruction. I hope for laughter and love and creativity and funk. I also hope that our listeners are having a spectacular school year and that unicorn fairy dust is sprinkling on every step they take. Yes, I love to believe in hope, and I honestly feel that this is the very reason that Dr. Rose Brock, one of our guests today, entered my life. It is because I believe in hope. I'm Brian Ripley Crandall. I'm the director of the Connecticut Writing Project at Fairfield University, and it is a total honor to once again host The Right Time with the director of national programs, the one, the only, Tanya Baker! <laughs> I'm hoping you're doing really well, Tanya. So what's your hope then for this uh, new school year? Hi, Brian. Um, because we spent a lot of time together, you know that I was out for much of last week sick. And while I was sick, I finally watched everything everywhere all at once. So nobody's seen that movie. I feel like it is a beautiful movie about hope. And um, the hope that I'm voicing for everyone in this school year comes from a character from that movie, Wayman, who said, the only thing I do know is that we have to be kind. Please be kind especially when we don't know what's going on. So I feel like there's a lot we don't know about what's going on these days. And I hope for teachers and students and communities that um, everyone does their best to be kind. So speaking of kindness and hope, as you said, we're thrilled to bring back Dr. Rose Brock, author of Hope Nation and the sequel, Hope Wins. And the New York Times bestselling author, James Ponty, one of the contributing writers to this text. I want to welcome to the studio teacher leader, Jill Stadbronski, sorry, Jill, of the Drew Writing Project as well. The National Writing Project's excited to host this interview and to celebrate the release of another collection of essays written by some of the best children's and young adult authors today. Yes, 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 indeed. And I'm lucky to introduce to our audience, Dr. Rose Brock, a beautiful, a brilliant, a wonderful soul who is champion to the excellent writers of our young people who also love to read. She's a spectacular human being, and I'm excited to also let you know, Dr. Rose Brock is an associate professor in the Department of Library Science at Sam Houston University. She is a veteran educator and an advocate for audiobooks as a tool for literacy and is co-founder of the National Literacy Initiative, Guys Listen, a part of the Guys Read Literacy National Program. Dr. Brock, deservingly, was awarded the City Joe Johnson Award for Outstanding Service to Youth by the Texas Library Association and is also co-founder of NTTBF, the North Texas Teen Book Festival. It is phenomenal. If you can get there, get there. She is the editor of Hope Wins, Hope Nation, Young Adult Authors Share Personal Moments of Inspiration, and the author of Young Adult Literature in Action, A Librarian's Guide. And as a bonus, we get two writers in our in our studio tonight, this evening, because we also have the incredible James Ponty, who is a contributing author to Hope Wins. He is also with us. James Ponty is the New York Times bestselling author of three middle grade book series, City Spies, about an unlikely squad of kids from around the world who form an elite M16 spy team. The Edgar Award winning framed series about a pair of tweens who solve mysteries in Washington, D.C., and the Dead City Trilogy about a secret society that polices the undead living beneath Manhattan. Dun, dun, dun. He lives with his family in Orlando, Florida. You can find out much more about him at jamesponte.com. <laughs> Welcome back to the right time, Rose. Uh, I don't know if you know how often Brian pushes your book festival on the right time, but it is not only when you're here. So if you've seen a sudden surge of authors and teachers making their way to your book festival, you should probably thank Brian. <laughs> and James, it's truly an honor to have you with us as well. I'm also happy to introduce our teacher leader guest from New Jersey, Jill Stadronsky. Is 
Did I get it right that time? Oh. You got it right. <laughs> Great. Uh, yeah. Sure. I love this description. I might steal it. Jill is a teacher professionally and personally. She teaches eighth graders at Williams Annan Middle School in Basking Ridge, New Jersey for the past 16 years. She's a consultant for the Drew Writing Project, an adjunct for Drew University, and a researcher. Her focus is intrinsic motivation. She strives to create an authentic environment for her students and hopefully all students around the world by motivating them to read and write for real purposes. She co-authored a chapter with Dr. Kristen Holly Turner for the publication Inquiry Ignites, Pushing Back Against Traditional Literacy Instruction. She hopes to help change curriculum worldwide. The National Writing Project loves Dr. Kristen Holly Turner. Woo -woo, <laughs> um, so we can hand it over to you, Jill. You get to give a writing prompt to start off the show for those watching in classrooms or want to write on their own. Okay, I'm grabbing this from a book that I actually just finished and it was recommended to me. Um, it's The Gift, 14 Lessons to Save Your Life by Edith Eva Egger. Eger? Egger, I'm not sure. I think she wrote it at 92. Mm. And a lot of it is about hope. It is about her experience in the Holocaust but it's also about her becoming a psychologist in her late 50s. And this is one of the things she had said about it. I found it very profound. You've seen firsthand the greatest evils of the world, people say. How can you hold hope when there's still genocide in the world, when there's so much evidence to the contrary? To ask how hope is possible in the face of dire realities is to confuse hope with idealism. Idealism is when you expect that everything in life is going to be fair or good or easy. It's a defense mechanism, just like denial or delusion. Honey, don't cover garlic with chocolate. It doesn't taste good. Likewise, there's no freedom in denying reality or trying to cloak it in something sweet. Hope isn't a distraction from darkness. It's a confrontation with darkness. So based on this passage, like I do with my students often, in some way try to get them to connect in any way about perhaps you want to just delve into the idea, what's hope versus idealism? Maybe that idea has never been brought up to you before. Maybe you share a time that you had hope and what were the outcomes, good or bad? I always think about, are you the person that when you walk away from somebody, have you left them with positive, hopeful feelings? And I think about as a teacher and any adult, are we responsible for that? So in any way you can go back to the prompt that's there that you see on your screen and take any line maybe and take that line for a walk. Nice. I love that saying, take a line for a walk. Well, we wish you a great, great interview. And I have a feeling the conversation tonight will lead to some further writing about hope after they're done talking. So we'll see you in a while. You guys have a great conversation. Thank you. Hi, Rose and James. I'm so lucky to have both of you here with me, especially because I've been using the book as part of my starts this year. And so I begin my entire year with all these starts. I love, Rose, that it's authors and their lives. Kids so often, right? just read the book. And then the author seems this foreign person. And I'm a mom of two, two kids that are writers. So I know they're real people and how they write and what they think in the characters. So to get an insight into each author with some of their personal writing, I think was a really brilliant idea. I, I'm curious. I know we didn't have this question there, but how did you come up with that idea about that? Well, thank you. And thank you for your kind words about it. Um, I it's funny, and I talked about this um, a little bit before when I um, got to be on here and speak about Hope Nation, which is the YA anthology that I did first. Um, it kind of, it, it happened, um, you know, uh, it, it wasn't something I had been thinking about or, or planning or dreaming. I, I wish I could say that it were. I had an opportunity that came my way uh, working with a publisher I'd known for a long time 
who basically cold called me and asked me if I wanted to do a book with him. And, and for those of you watching, that's not, and James will attest to this, that's not, not really how this works, right? If, you, if your kids are writers, you know, I don't know if they're, if they write to try to be published or if they are published, but they're, it's, it's pretty brutal, right? You really, really have to want to do that. And you can be an outstanding writer. You shouldn't be writing because you just want to be published. Like you no. should write because you want to write because it's part of, it fuels your soul. But Sometimes Absolutely. people get lucky enough and, and they do get published, but um, because of some of the other work I do, I had this opportunity and, and ultimately what happened, I'll try to give you the short version is um, I, I declined, <laughs> I declined. Rose has no short versions. That's great though. Keep going. That is, that is true. <laughs> it is hard to tell this in a, in a con consolidated, concise way, but um, so basically I was offered an opportunity to have a book contract and like figure out a book I wanted to write. And at that moment, I was a little overwhelmed. Number one, I didn't have like a, a book in a drawer. I was like, oh, here, let me go get that and hand you this, right. this novel, you know, that I'd been I'd been slaving away on. But um, and, and then I got to thinking, you know, when I when I declined the uh, the very generous offer, um, I think the publisher that um, inquired was a little surprised that I just didn't jump on it. But for me, I think I, I really didn't because at that point. It was really important to me not to, I guess, take advantage of that privilege that, you know, again, that's not the way it works. And people work so really hard. So I sat back what when we ended the conversation, I promised that I would at least think about it. And so I spent the next couple of days really thinking about if I had this amazing opportunity, what could I do with it? And that idea of, of the what I could do with it, how I could take that and make something good of it. Um, that, that kind of almost immediately hit me. I started thinking about, um, a lot about like the kids that were in my classroom back when I used to teach eighth grade and the books that, that they loved. I mean, they read a lot of fiction, but I definitely always had kids that wanted real stories. Right. And so I had kids that loved the chicken soup books and they loved, and part of it was that they were searching for hope, right? They were looking for something to inspire them or make them feel Absolutely. a little bit of a balm, that kind of thing. And so I thought, you align know, with somebody, right? They need to right. align with somebody. Know somebody else has this story, absolutely, that's a bit similar to them. Yeah, absolutely. So, so once I started thinking about that, I thought, you know, we those those books are a little dated now. Not to say that they don't work for readers, but I mean, it's been a while since they were kind of fresh on the market. And I thought, you know, I wonder if I could do something like that. But instead of it being kind of these, you know, I don't want to say they're imaginary people. Maybe they are all real people, but. I thought, what if these authors that, that kids that readers really love, what if I got them to tell their stories? Because I think, again, that insight, it's so, you know, we know more about authors today than we ever have, right? When we were growing up, like you saw the name on the cover and you, you really didn't think they were a real person because we didn't have social media. We didn't have the internet because, you know, we're all of that age where those things just didn't exist. Maybe not James, but um, <laughs> um and so, um, I, you know, I thought about that and I thought this could be really great to, um, to ask, you know, really just like the prompt you gave, really ask, ask um, some of these writers that are very beloved to me and I and to kids to talk about their own times where things maybe had been difficult and what they did to overcome um, that, to, to be able to get back to hope. So that was kind of my idea. The other piece of it um, with both books was I realized I, ha I had an opportunity, again, another um, opportunity. And I love opportunities. And that was to try to do some real good with the book. So um, I had the idea of framing the book as a, a charitable endeavor. Um, and so that the writers kind of their carrot that I dangled in front of them was that not only were they writing for young people and telling their own stories, but also they were doing it as a means to also support something that they cared about. So um, with um, Hope Nation, um, everybody got to choose a charity of choice. And we um, cobbled up the money that we got from the publisher and the publisher matched it. It was great. And we were able to put some good out into the universe, which I'm a big believer in because in my mind, that's a big way to get back to hope or to really stay there, right? Like when things are hard, like uh, for me, I'm not saying it works for everybody for me, but when when I have those moments of darkness or things are really, you know, not the way I want life to be going, sometimes if I really direct my energy to doing something good for somebody else, I mean, maybe it's a little selfish because often it's like, you know, serendipity <laughs> happens and then, you know, good things come my way. And so, um, and it brings me a lot of joy and that's important too. So, um, so we did that with Hope Nation. And then, um, you know, I, I asked those folks, those authors were very generous. And when um, Hope wins, when I realized I wanted to return to it, I really thought I would just do Hope Nation and that would be it. But um, in 2020, all of our lives changed, right? 
And along the way, I will say, um, Hope Nation published in 2018. And almost immediately, I had um, teachers, educators that would turn to me or that I'd run into at conferences and say, you know, I really love this book. I'm, I, you know, but I teach fifth grade. I just like to read YA, but I can't use this, this, you know, particular anthology with my students. Would you ever do a younger one? And I thought, you know, like, again, I, I have a day job. I'm, you know, a lot of my writing's academic. And so I thought, oh, I don't have time for that. And then we were all at home and we were all, I think, struggling to feel hopeful, right? It was, it was a dark, dark time as James will, you know, uh, would certainly um, agree with like in our case, like we have this great circle of friends that, you know, it was a time where, um, you know, writing can be very, um, you know, can be, you can feel very distanced from other people and it, it can be, you know, um, times really difficult to feel connected to folks. And so a bunch of us came together and I have this group of friends that, that are just happen to be middle grade writers who I knew um, I wanted to hear their stories too. And so that, you know, that's kind of a, a choppy shortened version of it, but that's what happened. I, I reached out to my friends once again, and they were generous enough to open up um, and share their experiences. And, and um, I'm so, so grateful for that. I, I love that story. I, it's actually made me fall in love with your book a little bit more just hearing that. And I forgot, like you said, that you, you're doing it for um, helping everybody to kind of fund their own charities that they want. You know, one of the things that's uh, so interesting to me is I always start my class off with memoirs. Over the years, I've actually found that memoirs really grabbed the eighth graders. So this idea, all these narratives from real people, from people that they read their books to have, now I'm gonna have their book next to, I wanna just kind of take, I, I feel like taking a copy or two of your book and cutting it up and having it right next to it in my classroom display that way. They, they do, everybody wants to know that somebody's real, right? And like, we've only been in school five or six days and James, yours, yours your, um, narrative or memoir, whatever we want to call it, right about the name. It, it, it just is, it's perfect, I think, for so many grade levels, you know, obviously Brian used it for uh, college, but it really speaks to them. And I love it. It's not even short. It's just, it's long enough. And the thing for me, of like, there's great writing. So it's this model of great writing. It's a great story. And then they can be influenced to then go back and then read some of the stories of James Ponte. And I, I just think it's like, honestly, Rose, I think it's, it's the setup for great curriculum. Like this is how curriculum should be. You could use this as the anthology and here's all the stories. Um, and, and James, yours is one of, it's one of my favorites because I love the name because I think identity is something you don't just struggle with at 13. People struggle with it all their time their entire life. Um, you know, I, I, I talk about this, um, and I think about this all the time about the different curriculums and things like that. And what else, I, I, when I would be on dating sites, I got divorced recently. My dating question to people always would be, name the course that you would teach in high school that you think, well, is what was needed. And I'm just wondering from two people that are writers, I'm wondering, like, James, what would be the course that you could teach if there was no standard, you wouldn't have to worry about parent burns? And Rose, I wonder the same from you. What would be the course? What would be the driving question? Or what would be the theme? And I don't, I want you to think, like, out of the box here. Like, is there something you would be dying to teach? Well, Rose is a teacher. She's a great teacher. And, yeah. and, and so I'm sure she'll, she could talk about that. For me, it's funny. I um I was a weak reader growing up. Um, I started my career writing for television in part because I knew I wanted to be a writer, but I just was never a strong reader, and I couldn't imagine that I could actually write a book. One of the things that appeals to me about this book is like one of the one of the only things that I really clung to as a reader were the Encyclopedia Brown stories because there were these short stories and they I could read them in one sitting, even at my speed, and they had a conclusion. And I love that being part of this anthology. It's like that. It's like I get to do one of those short stories, and you know, I feel like I feel like writing a middle grade book is an act of hope. Anyway, I think all of us write these books, kind of as even the fiction that we write, or in this case, the memoir that we write, as kind of here's my guidebook of how to make it through middle school, how to get through this time in your life. If I could teach school, um, 
I always said I'd love to be an English teacher. I'd love to teach writing. I would be terrible at grading writing because I don't ever want to discourage people. I don't want to take off. I don't think writing should ever be graded, period. No, no, well, you know, yeah, but I, yeah. So for me, it'd be writing because of what, what you were just saying. When I, when I, when I visit a school, I, I talk to the kids. My goal is to be such that by the end of the thing, it has demystified the role of the writer. Such that, you know, it's like, wait, he's, just like us, he's as goofy as us. He's yeah, you know, and, and to, talk, <laughs> to talk about that, it's it's for anyone. And then I tell them, you know, because there's the the one great thing is you're the only person who can tell your story, and that's a power. That's a superpower. No one else can tell your story but you. So if you want that story told, you can do it. And it's just um, so yeah, I would I would love to teach kids to write, you know, and and to really get into it with them, and to talk about the the yeah, the, the nuts and bolts. What about you, Rose? Um, yeah, I don't have necessarily a creative. I mean, again, I was a, I was a middle school teacher and middle school educator for 20 years. Um, part of that was in the library was, as a librarian, but the first half of it was in the classroom. And, um, you know, I, I mean, like all the things that I'm passionate about, like I love, um, you know, like I love dancing and dancing is already taught, but dancing were like, there's no like dancing, just moving your soul and, and, you know, no one trying to make everyone look the same, that kind of thing, I think would be really fun. Just to have music and just have like a dance party <laughs> for class. Yeah. That would be a great way to like, you know, spend a part of the day. I mean, I probably couldn't make it a whole period. I'd be like, y'all go on now. I got my five minutes in. Um, but you know, when I was still a classroom teacher, I started off as an English teacher and a writing teacher. And then, um, at where I taught at the middle school, I taught eighth grade. Um, we, segregated uh, language language arts wasn't called um, ELA or ELAR it was you taught English which was writing or you taught reading and as much as I love teaching writing a lot of what we were forced to to teach due to state standards was a really kind of regimented formulaic kind of approach and I always hated that and I remember you know telling my students I was like look here's the thing you know like this they're like they've done this down to the point that if you'll trust me and and you promise me that when it's time for us to turn this on we will do all kinds of other stuff for the rest of the year and then about four weeks before I'm going to teach you how exactly how they grade this essay that's going to be like you know the thing that allows you to do this or that because again I'm, I'm in Texas so um you know we love our state testing as most states do and so the rest of that time, I really just focused on making kids just read voraciously and trying to like find the the books that spoke to their heart or that what like, you know, that, that just was their jam. And I think if I could go back, that was the thing that I loved most, really, really trying to turn the corner with kids that were like, you know, they walked in, they're like, nope, not for me. And I was like, oh, it's for you. you just haven't had your home run book, right? Like Stephen Crashland talks about that. And, um, and until you have that, you're going to have those, you know, stops and starts and, and so forth. And um, I, you know, like James and I have in common, we were both born out of the country and we have um, European mothers. And, um, and so, you know, my family moved here when I was in elementary school and I, I, I had a lot of privilege compared to a lot of kids. I did speak English, but I'd gone, you know, primary school, I'd been in a German school and then I transitioned. So my English, my reading in English was a little behind. And, you know, books were the thing. And, and I wasn't really a reader, but I met, you know, uh, James had Encyclopedia Brown. I met Nancy Drew and it changed everything for me. I met Nancy Drew and, um, and you know, before, because I was still the weird German girl before I had for real friends, I had those, those fictional friends and they were my world. They kept me company. You know, there's, there are a lot of moments. Isolation can be really hopeless sometimes. Um, and also now as we age, it also can be really wonderful because there's been so much going on all the time. But, you know, when I was in fourth grade sitting in that class, I, I kind of hated that I didn't, you know, I didn't have those other kids that had gone to school together for, you know, up to that point. So anyway, um, I think that would be my dream job um, would be to go back and, and just really try to find a way um, to, to help kids find, um, you know, what, what they really love and then support it because so often we do a lot of shaming, whether it's in reading or writing, like it's this idea that, you know, they're supposed to be the standard and really all books are good books, right? There's no bad book. Uh, I mean, there are bad books, but I mean, like, yes. I've read several. <laughs> <laughs> also not true. 
Um, but like, I mean, if it speaks to somebody, it, it can't be all right. bad. That's the, that's the hoper in me. Cause I'm a hoper, right? Yeah. Like I'm, it's, you know, it may not be for me. I mean, like we can, we can look at, you know, um, lots of things and take a book apart or, you know, a story apart. Um, and it's important for, you know, there's, there's a place for that, but as far as just speaking to us and, and really connecting with the greater world, um, stories do that. That's, I mean, that's what we do. Absolutely. That's who we are as people. Absolutely. So well said. I completely agree. I, I'm always pushing back on the curriculum and my classroom is just a classroom of choice. They read what okay. they want. To read. I try to introduce everything to them. And I don't, I don't, you know, I don't even worry about the state tests anymore. I, we write for real reasons. That's why I love all these great sparks. Wait, I, um, I, I live two blocks from where my son went to elementary school. And so when he was in third grade, I went over to the principal and I said, I've seen these writing standards. And, and what you're doing and what we are doing is we're teaching everyone to be the same mediocre writer yeah. and she's like well and i go you know this is what's going to happen it's like yeah everyone's going to be the same so that's equality but they're all going to be really mediocre and of course i walked into the text because well, what, what should we do about it james and the next thing you know i taught a class at the elementary school once a week for like 40 minutes where they let me just come in and teach writing the way i thought they should learn how to write and it was all fun. Like we would make up a story each time. And I would just have each kid, you do a line, now you do a line, now you do a line. Look how easy this to come up this story. But you know, one one of the things too that I love to teach about writing that I think can get lost in the shuffle is is a lot of times I will show pictures of young readers. Like here I, I live in Orlando. I'll show if I'm in a visit school in Orlando, I'll show a picture of here's Kate and Kate struggles with this, and here's John and John struggles with it. And, and so and they're all into it. And then I say, oh, by the way, and, and I talk about them going to school in this town where in Orlando. And then I point out that Kate's Kate B. Camillo and John John is John Green and Victoria is Victoria Jameson. And it's like these people who are amazing writers who you know all grew up going to the same grocery stores that you did, all grew up doing it. It's not some faraway thing. It's not some distant, unattainable thing. And it's not that you have to write for a living, but you should know that you could and you should know that your story matters just like John's right. matters, just like Kate's matters, just like mine matters. I, I think that's one of the great things that actually this book does, right? Because they really get to see authors in these two lights. I always say to my students when they walk in, you have a brain, you can talk, then you must have thoughts. And that means you can write. And if you write a lot, eventually you're going to be able to say something beautifully because we all have those thoughts. And each one of these separate little stories, these little narratives, these little memoirs really are about real people. And I, I have just found with students that that really sparks them. And I, I think they enjoy that. And I, you know, James, I wish you'd come and do a little class with some of my students. I am curious, James, is there a book that you tried to write and you can't? Is there a topic that you want? Is there a story and it's been so hard and it's buried in some drawer there or behind a wall? Well, this is an area that I don't like to talk about because it doesn't, a lot of writers don't like this, which is the fact that actually all the books I wrote became published. Um, I got really lucky that way. I, I sent my first idea to one editor and one agent and that's still where my books are published and that's still wow. where my agent is you know wow. and so yes i have been lucky with that but there was a story i tried to write i talked to my agent about and she very tenderly told me that yes there would be a time but it wasn't now it's a story that i almost wrote about for this book um seven years ago my son died my <laughs> oldest son died and um sorry he was severely autistic he had he was severely epileptic he had like 15 seizures every day. Um, he never spoke a word. And actually the reason I write books is because of him. I, I, I decided I needed to find a job where I could work at home so I could be with him. And now I write books in part because I feel like he's part of the book still. It keeps him alive still. And I will write about that someday, but I'm not there yet. And I keep thinking I might be, and I keep thinking, nope, not yet. Um, and partly it's like, I don't want to turn his life into a story, but I do want to connect, you know, I talk about him a lot when I was at schools and it's really interesting. Um, 
you go to like some schools, especially schools, to be honest, like you're, you're in a Title I school in a, in, in a maybe economically disadvantaged area. And I'll talk about my son dying and they all jump right in with death in their family and what it means to them and what that sadness means to them. Um, I'll also talk about the fact that I never met my dad, that my dad is just a non-entity in my life, which I write about in this story. And that connects with them. So um, those are elements, but you know, in, in a weird way, I write stories about spies and junior detectives and stuff. They all feel autobiographical to me. They all feel like, okay, what I am going to do is I'm going to have this storyline that lets me give you fun and action and adventure and, and lets, you know, a thing that I'm really passionate about is it's going to let this, the kids are going to win in it, not because they can fly or they have x-ray vision or whatever, because they're going to think and they're going to work together, right? That's, that's the secret sauce to me. And so I'm going to give you those stories that you can have just so much fun with. It seems so unrealistic, but every relationship in that story is a real relationship for my life. And those have to be true. No, there are not 14-year-old spies at MI6, but there are found families who are trying to figure out how to make life work. And if I can mix those elements, then maybe I can do something right with this. You know, my students always ask me about that. I, I do have two children. One is published. One is, you know, on the 42nd query letter sending out. But I'm, you know, I say keep going. They always say, we, we talk about it, even when we were using some of the pieces, Rose, right? I said, these are their real lives of the authors. Um, but then they'll say, you know, sometimes we talk about if you want us to talk about something hard, can you write it in fiction? Because it is easier to write it sometimes in fiction. And I, I said, of course, but I still think even in those fiction things, we write about what we know. How, how, do you, how would you phrase that? Or how would you say it to them? Would you say it differently? Or I don't write like Rose, I, I don't write fiction. I write academically. I, my kids can write fiction, I can't. But I have a hard time saying to them like, I don't know, because I'm not a fiction writer. Do you find that's true? Like you're not a spy, I don't think. <laughs> no, I'm talking to you, Rose. I'm sorry. I no, thought you were you're not Rose. a spy. Yeah. I'm not a spy. Yeah, Rose I'm is a spy. spy. She's the one who came over in her teens from Germany and like some right. I came over as a baby from Italy. Um, so you know, yeah, it's it, it, so I, I spent uh, uh, most of my career, and this is part of why I was lucky with the books, by the way, because I, I I spent most of my career in television. I spent like 20 years working and producing writing television. And so when I came into books, I was older and I had written professionally and, and some of the growing pains and some of the rejection I dealt with in TV. And so here I was able to just kind of like, wow, I've had like 20 years of grad school. I am ready to try this. One of the shows that I did though, I worked for the History Channel for a while and then I worked for Golf Channel. And for nine years, I did a show where we had an hour long interview with someone and it would we had Bill Clinton, we had Matthew McConaughey, we had Kevin Hart, and they would be athletes, they'd be all kinds of people. And I would tell the people working, I would produce the show, I was like, not the executive producer, but I would write it, and I'd come up with the questions. And the thing that I stress with everyone is the rules of fiction and the rules of nonfiction aren't different. It's just a nonfiction that has to be true. But a nonfiction story still has to follow all those criteria of, of plot and exposition and conflict and climax. And I said, the single most important thing for us to do is to identify the motor of the, main, the person that we're interviewing. It's not to talk about what was it like to be the president. It's not to talk about what's like to win the Academy Award. It's like to find out what's the conflict at the center. And that conflict creates a tension. And that tension is what drives you through life. And that is true in fiction and that's true with nonfiction. So in fiction, you take the conflicts that you know and you give them the characters. In nonfiction, you study someone and you really try to find out. And oftentimes, you know, and then, you know, I, I feel like I was pretty good at this part. I think I would get to some conflicts in people that maybe they didn't, you know, without getting into too much amateur psychology, like things that maybe they didn't realize. I remember um, I was at the Clinton Library with the guy who runs the library and we were talking about we had just interviewed the former president and now we were shooting other things at the library to go with it 
And I said, I have my theory on, on him. He goes, okay, I want to hear that. I said, Bill Clinton was a guy whose father died before he was born. And that's all you need to know to understand everything that happened in his life. He never thought he was invincible because he'd been surrounded by death from the moment he was born. And that's why he was in a hurry. It's one of the things you always play about. He's in a hurry. He's in a rush. He's trying. Why, why, why is he already at 17 worried about running for president? Because, well, his dad died before he was born. Think about how profound that impacted him. I go, the other thing is you want to please everyone because you always are worried in your head that someone is going to die before you see them again. And his strengths and his wit and his weaknesses all come from that motor of I gotta hurry, I gotta hurry because I'm not gonna live long. And I gotta be, I gotta make everyone happy, no matter what the situation, that we all walk away smiling, like everything's all right, because I don't know that I'm gonna see them again. I said, I don't know if that's true or not, but that's how I'm making the show. That's what I believe. And the guy goes, I never thought of that. That's absolutely true. And, and you know, so we find these things. And if I were to write a you know, that's the thing that we had to do for this interview to make the interview as engaging as it could be. Although I'll be honest, put a camera on him, he's pretty engaging. But um, we have to find that in these stories. And that's how we take the reality that maybe it's uncomfortable to write about and we ascribe it to a character. And then that gives us also the freedom to be more honest. And that sounds contradictory. If you're telling someone's true story, you're confined to the facts. But if you tell someone, if you take their conflict and you put it in a fictional story, you get rid of some of the oddball curves that maybe knock them off the truth path. And you can tell a more basically honest version of what that pain, what that conflict and what that triumph is ultimately about. I feel like Rose, that's what you gave all these authors um, an opportunity to do. I, you know, when you said that, that was the opportunity and you took it and you passed that forward. To everybody. Thank you. It's amazing. That's very generous. You know, it's it's a weird kind of thing too, because like these are not my stories. And I tell people that when you know, as the editor of this anthology, um, it, you know, it has it has my name on the bottom and on the spine, but I didn't write these stories. I am the ambassador. I get to carry these stories in inside this book. I am I am the cheerleader and the ambassador of them and the keeper of them and and what. A privilege and honor that is. Um, she 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 cheats herself out of one thing though. <laughs> she is to a large degree also the inspiration of them. Absolutely. She is the inspiration of okay, for Rose, I'm going to tell this story. So our, our our dear friend Stuart Gibbs wrote about his wife passing away. I read that one. Which was you know and and and, and Rose and I remember every moment of it. Right. Yeah. Actually, you know. He wouldn't have written that for someone else. <laughs> I know, Rose. Do you did you learn anything new about somebody that you did? Oh my gosh, I learned so much. I mean, that's yeah. the thing. So many of these writers are truly dear friends, but like, um, there, you know, I mean, we we have these full lives, right? So even though we share and and we're open and and transparent with each other, you can't share every single experience. It's why when you go, you know, with people you love and enjoy, when you come to the table with them almost always you have something new to tell them, right? Maybe a yeah. memory pops in or maybe it's something that's just happened. Um, so yeah, no, they, I absolutely, absolutely learned a ton about people that I already thought I knew pretty well. And I mean, I do know them well. And it was interesting um, in regard to the process of, of you know, doing this in some cases. And but I learned a lot from the first one. One thing I learned is that um, trying to gather writers to do something like this is a little like herding cats. <laughs> and so... Um, <laughs> And I will say, I learned some of the things from book one that then I applied to book two that, that made it, um, you know, go a little more smoothly. And, and by and large, it really did. I mean, both, I, again, these are all busy, busy, professional people, successful people who, um, you know, spend their day writing, you know, you know, writing, doing, you know, honing their craft. And I've asked them to like, hey, pause all that for a moment. And then do something for me that, hey, you're not going to get paid for. And that really, again, is you're opening yourself up. You're being very vulnerable. You're sharing of yourself. Um, and so what an, you know, I'm nothing but honored that they were willing to do that. Um, 
So in, in both volumes, I learned a ton, but I, I certainly in, in this collection, you know, I, there were so many things that I was surprised by. And then in some cases, you know, I had an idea in regard to, you know, as the editor, in some cases I knew like James and I spoke on multiple occasions about what he would write about. We discussed him sharing the story of um, Alex, his son. We discussed different things um, in some, with some authors, I let them figure out if they wanted to just, you know, like, they're like, I got this. I know the assignment It's like, you know, like the student in class, nope, you gave me the assignment, get out of my way. Right. And so with those folks, I would check in and then I kind of, you know, dip my toe in, dip my toe out and, and let them do their thing with others. Um, it was kind of a massaging process to figure out what, what they wanted to tell. And sometimes along the way in thinking, oh, I'm going to tell this story, then something else, they'd be sparked and they would end up telling another one. But I think that's really the key, even with professional writers, like when you're looking back at your life, it's a hard prompt, like, right, except that we all, but if you really look at it, if you look at those examples, I mean, because it seems so esoteric yet, you're like, okay, how do, how, how do I describe hope? I mean, like, you can do it, but when you're looking at your own life and thinking about what that can mean, that it can be something really small or it can be something really big, right? Um, it's going to be so personal and they're all right. There's not a wrong answer. Right because we all have experiences. And for the young people that, you know, um, may discover these books or may even watch us or the teachers that work with them, you know, I mean, I think that's really key for me. Um, that's where I can't, I can't step away from being a teacher is that it's so important to me for kids to really realize that they all have stories to tell that there's nothing that isn't, you know, often kids will say nothing's happened to me. You know, my life isn't interesting enough. I'm not, I'm not this. And, and I get why they think that, right? It's an easy response to have because you think, well, you know, I haven't, you know, won the lottery or I haven't had this grand thing happen or I'm young, but again, they have families. They, you know, they have experiences, they have loss, they have joy, they have all these kinds of things. And, and sometimes the, what seems to be the simplest thing is the most beautiful thing. It often is. I, I read a thing the other day. So this is not my original idea. You guys have all probably read this, but it said that, um, you know, whenever time travel movies happen, like a Back to the Future or something, they always say, you can't go do anything because the slightest thing you do could change the future of the world. Right. And I said, but no one ever realizes that when you're growing up, that that's true. The slightest things you do, you just, just right. unlike in a time travel movie, it hasn't been preordained and now you're changing it. And so I think what was fun about this was we get to all kind of say, you know what? We maybe didn't realize it at the time, mm -hmm. but when we were your age, this was the seeming little thing, things that, you know, not only was that story that I wrote new to my writing friends, that was new to the friends I grew up with, which is so funny. I changed my name in the ninth grade and no one ever asked me why. They just accepted it. They thought maybe there's a thing. No one knows that knew that story until they read it now. Four had years had you ever written about that before? Nope, nope. That was, what, that, was, that was what was really liberating about this. She, she says it's the hardest assignment. It was really a great assignment. You know, you could think of us all as like chefs who work at like an Italian restaurant and Mexican restaurant. Like we very like we make the same meal all the time. Well, we know how to cook, but we're always making similar meals. Like maybe I'm making lasagna tonight. Maybe I'm making veal piccata tonight or whatever. And then it's like, she said, I want you to cook something else. I want you to cook something you've never cooked before and use those things that you know how to cook but cook me up a meal that I'm not expecting. And that is, from a writing standpoint, something we don't normally get to do. Yeah. Like, okay, that's fun. And this could be, even if it's not a book, it's like, okay, we can do that. I forget how many words it was. That was, it's like, yeah, we can, we can, we can do that. So yeah. were there guidelines, Rosa? Was there guidelines? Was there anybody that like, because I'm just trying to think of a book. I, I'm a, you know, I read all the time. I'm always trying to spark the kids. I, I've never found someone like we're always looking for I hate textbooks but this to me really is an anthology and I love memoirs because for some reason it has really hooked my eighth graders the real lives so the fact that to hear the authors have these I'm just curious was there anybody what were the guidelines was there anybody that they kept coming to you like I don't think so Rose I I can't do it you know um <laughs> That's a good question. Again, you know, um, the guidelines were pretty simple. I mean, um, what I learned from the first time of doing it, like with the first anthology, I had far more rigid guidelines. I was like, you know, I needed to be about approximately this many words. 
Um, and, um, you know, a couple other small things like that. And then what I realized, I mean, I had people that, um, came up really short, but some of, some of the most profound, um, stories in that first collection might've been really, really short. And then one of them was twice as long and it, it, it probably is the best thing in the, in the entire anthology. And so with Hope Win, the middle grade one, I, I was like, okay, I'm, there's no reason to give them all these boundaries. Let them just write their story. And we'll, because what I learned was ultimately, and all that was coming from my working relationship with my publisher at the publishing house, because we had an idea of how many pages the book should be. And, you know, there's a formula for all that stuff, right. how many word count and all that. But ultimately it all worked out, right? Because the person that came up short that wrote this out amazing story in less words left room um, in the book for the person whose story needed more space and they were both right, you know? Right. And I think that's the key, you know, from like a writing strategy is you tell the story, tell it the best way you can tell it, you know? And yes, there are, you know, we, there's not a single person that participated that didn't rewrite their story. That's another thing I'd want people to know is that I had to read these stories, just like put on my teacher hat and say, you know, like, love this, love this, love this, like here, this is great. But I feel like you know, you could maybe I'm a little confused or I, this, you know, I feel like you flesh this out a little more and, and then send it back to them. And I will tell you, that's intimidating to, to send yeah. these super, you know, <laughs> beloved, well-known best-selling authors being like, this is not quite enough. <laughs> right. Yeah. That, like James said, that's, that's a different kind of writing for a lot of them if they're writing the sure. books, right? For sure. Yeah. It really is. Yeah. I, I your feel like your feedback. I feel like we can actually have a um, hope wins part two because we are so far from answering all the questions that Jill came up with and there's so much more to say, but the conversation was so robust and so rich and so um, it was perfect. It was perfect. But I'm going to say, Jill, do you have one more question you're dying to ask? Because I don't want to cut your, your questions too short. Um. I, I, I don't I, like, I, honestly, I was just curious, like with Rose, if there was somebody that really struggled and she kind of had to almost like James said, like a psychologist coach them through something like they're like, I just write fiction. I'm like, I want you to write about your life. Was there somebody like that? No, there were, there were a couple of misdirections where people maybe, um, you know, they, they took their story um in a different not not a different direction but like i think they they were afraid to tell their truth and so um they didn't make it quite personal enough and those things i had to call out and say you know that's all great you're used to telling stories making up stories now now tell me the real deal wow that kind of goes back to what james said right i i find that too with the kids it's really hard for them to be uh, i was just reading to them about anne lamont she says to bring out your monster and to expose the unexposed. Well, you're vulnerable. That's why. To be vulnerable. Yeah. Be vulnerable. And I, I, I hate writing rubrics or anything, but I always say to the kids, that's all I want you to do. Be vulnerable, be raw, be honest. Yeah. Um, well, thank you. Thank you for well, sharing. And I, and I think that I think that James um, honest honesty about the story. He knows he needs to write and will be written one day, but wasn't right for this particular text was really one of the most moving parts of, of this particular show. And it made me, it hit me in a couple of places of like, wow, there are memories I have from junior high and middle school of things that happened that were just, that were just pretty ugly, but you put to the side and you move on with your life. But like it was triggered and I would not have been triggered unless I started thinking like, yeah, there, there's a time for a story. You'll, you'll know when it needs to be written. Um, I, I appreciate, and this is another model I'm going to take from this particular show, when uh, James said, writing a middle grade book is an act of hope. Mm -hmm. So I thank you, Rose Brock, once again, for blooming with your first name. Another text mm -hmm. for all of us lovers of writing and writing instruction to teach, because this is, like, like Jill said, this is a textbook without being a textbook. It is an anthology of inspiration. So mwah. Jill, you have an exiting prompt, I think, for the writers in schools and at home? I do, and I have to find it on this thing. That makes two of them. There we go. Okay, thank you. Um, and I'm going to give them a strategy, too, because I always try to do this with uh, my students. So write about a time that having hope changed your trajectory. 
or maybe you want to reflect on your past experiences, where or when did you lose hope? Maybe describe it in detail and write yourself a letter of apology. Sometimes when I get stuck with writing, um, I say to my kids, you know, first sentence has to begin with an A, second sentence has to begin with a B, uh, third sentence, the C. And I would start with something like uh, a brother. Boy needs help. Change how he lives. Drop the drink. So go ahead and take a look at that. Go back if you want to the beginning passage that we had. Just think about hope, hope. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I get to close out the show as always. And I want to thank you, Rose. Um, I have a 22 year old daughter who's a, who's an organizer and she is <clears throat> really loves Miriam Kaba, who said um, that hope is a discipline. And I think these two anthologies of yours, um, you've really put your money where your mouth is in so many ways by taking this opportunity that you could have had for yourself and sharing it so broadly by making these anthologies for young people um, at a time where hope is really hard. So thank you. Thank you for that. And James, thank you for being with us today and sharing your story and um, introducing us um, via stories to your family and your wife who is a teacher standing up um, in really disciplined ways for young people. We really appreciate you all. And Jill, um, Thank you so much. Jill, you really represented our network of teachers and the work that we want to do with um, the beautiful books that Rose and her colleagues make for us to do that with. So thanks for being here and doing that work tonight. Thanks for having me. And I like to get to say, last of all, thank you for everybody who's here with us. Uh, enjoying the show and thinking about how to share these books with your students. Uh, we really appreciate you and we don't want you to miss a single opportunity to hang out with great teachers and writers talking about teaching and writing. So sign up for our newsletter. Um, join us in conversation in the studio at studio.nwp.org and follow um, our podcast so you never miss a single episode. Thank you. You're listening to NWP Radio, a production of the National Writing Project. NWP. NWP Radio.